This is Live Well Talk on Achieving Your Weight Loss New Year's Resolution. I'm Dr. Dustin Arnold, Chief Medical Officer at Unite Point Health, St. Luke's Hospital. 2020 was certainly a challenging year, and the pandemic, as well as the derecho, caused a lot of us to abort those New Year's resolutions, uh, which we set last January to lose weight. Returning the podcast today is health coach Abby Labarge from Unity Point Healthy Living Clinic to discuss how you can achieve your weight loss goal in 2021. Abby, welcome back. Thank you for having me. Every year, people make a New Year's resolution, and I, I think the best analogy for me is my New Year's resolution is really just a to-do list for the first week in January, because then <laughs> certainly after that, it falls apart. But uh, this year was difficult, The particularly the lockdowns, gyms are closed, people uh, couldn't get out as they did before. Um, so I, I'm sure some people have set some New Year's resolutions, which are good things to do. Uh, but uh, tell us, tell us what's reasonable and what uh, what people should expect of themselves. I think we get unrealistic expectations with weight loss, then we uh, are disappointed, and then subsequently abort the uh, the resolution. Yeah. So what you're saying is really common. Um, we see that people have these really really lofty goals, and they're typically outcome goals. And so what that means is. You say, I want to lose 50 pounds by the end of the first six months of the year, but you don't say how you're going to do it. Or you say you want to go to the gym every day or these really big things. Um, and we just know specifically outcome goals, they don't work. They don't tell you how to get there. And so we really talk more about doing behavior things. So breaking it way down, get to the bare minimum, really think about what it is you want to achieve and why you want to achieve it. Um, but the biggest thing is to start small. We try to start so big. We say, well, if I don't work out five days a week, what's the point? I'm not going to get the benefit. Well, the benefit is, is you get the routine down. And the routine, once you establish that, you can really grow from. How long does it take for something to become a habit? I, I always was told 11 times. You can sure. do something 11 days in a row, then it can become a habit. And that was Coach Rick Blackwell was a, a coach I had in junior high and high school. And that, that was his saying, and I've never forgot that. What, what's your experience? <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of those fancy numbers out there. I think one of the really popular ones is 21 days makes a habit. Uh, and the truth is, is it's different for everybody. There is no magical number. What we typically see is if you do believe it takes 21 days, you're perfect for 21 days. And day 22, you're off um, because you just gave yourself an endpoint. What it really takes is, so say you're somebody who's never gone to the gym before. If you want to establish a workout routine, it's probably going to take you a little bit longer to get there than if you're somebody who was going to the gym every day up until three months ago. So it's just really depending on where you're at and being realistic with yourself. And I always advise people, you know, get a, just simply get up and walk and, and do something really low intensity at first before you purchase the $2,000 treadmill or weight machine that uh, ends up being a, uh, a laundry rack at some point in the basement. Uh, so we ask them to achieve that. But I, I like your concept of setting a realistic goal by addressing behavior. And if the side effect happens to be weight loss, at least you're feeling better. Um, you know, the, the old saying is not how much you weigh, it's how you carry it, I guess is a, kind of an analogy to that. If you uh, get, get fit and uh, are carrying the weight better, that's better than not. But I also, just this week, it's on social media, and maybe you've seen it, um, that this almost schizophrenic sort of presentation that obesity is at a 70% greater chance of being hospitalized with COVID-19. Mm -hmm. That's, that's, you know, you, it's not that 
you're more likely to get it with being obese, but you're more likely to be hospitalized. Mm-hmm. And then Cosmopolitan has a picture of an, uh, uh, a large person that's clearly obese and says, this is the new healthy. Um, it, it, so that's, that's such a conflict in messages that people receive. But what, what is a reasonable weight loss per, let's say, per week for someone to shoot for? So I'm going to kind of circle back just for a second because I did see that thing with Cosmopolitan and it can be, and that's a big thing, especially in the world that I live in, which is weight loss, right? Is you have to lose weight, lose weight, lose weight, get to that perfect BMI. Everything's going to be happy. Um, we see those numbers with COVID and they're, they're pretty striking. I think those are some of the first time we've seen numbers where um, we can actually say it's the weight that's the problem. It's not just lifestyle. So you kind of have this in balance of where we want to be body positive and we want to accept everyone and themselves, but we also need to have health as a focus. And so what we talk about a lot here is it's not necessarily about the weight. It is about the weight, but we don't want the pressure to be on the weight. We focus on the behaviors. So if we can say, if we can get you exercising 30 minutes a day, um, doing two days of resistance training, at least three days of a cardio, and you're feeling good, you're eating a healthy, balanced diet of an appropriate calorie amount, you're getting good sleep, you have good stress management, your body's going to naturally get you to a weight where it's comfortable and healthy for you. That might not be the perfect BMI, but it's going to be healthy. And that's really what we push here. So you know, the weight loss thing, it's, they say one to two pounds a week, but really everyone's different and we see it differ so much. And what is a perfect BMI for one person, they might hit, another person may hit that weight and not feel good at all and actually feel better with a few more pounds. And that's a better weight for them. So it's really hard to find that balance of what is the appropriate thing to share because we want to show body inclusivity, but we also really want to promote health um, as well and not just promote a larger body, but also promote health the same way. Yeah, I, I mean, I wholeheartedly believe that people shouldn't be fat shamed, if you will. Um, but to uh, advertise that a BMI that's excessive is somehow healthy is just it just not supported by science. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's interesting, the obesity paradox was or is that patients that come to the hospital and are septic and go to the ICU, the ones with a higher BMI actually do better than the ones with a low BMI. And so that has been flipped around with COVID-19. And it probably has something to do. My theory is that it has something to do with oxygenation and the just the the weight of the chest and the ability for the patient with a high, high, high BMI to uh, to breathe. Their breathing mechanics are altered compared to someone that isn't. That's my theory. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll, we'll see over time that I'm sure we will get that identified. So one one thing that's been popular last year or so I see it is intermittent fasting. Can you can you give us your perspective on that? So it's kind of it's one of the popular things right now. Um, I will say I we're noticing in our clinic it's getting less popular. I think people are used kind of did it and now they're coming off it a little bit. Um, I think the people that have the most success with intermittent fasting are some is somebody who's never really paid attention to what they're eating and the first thing they try is intermittent fasting and so now they're paying attention to what they're eating. I think it's really, it's not so much that it's about the timing or whatever, but I think those times give them rules to follow and they've never thought about it before. Um, so if you're somebody who follows a 
1300 calorie meal plan, if you then change up the timing of your food, but you're still eating that same amount of calories, you're probably not going to see that much of a difference. It's really the people who are um, not really paying any attention to their meals, and now they're cutting back 500 calories a day. Of course, you're going to see results. So I think it has a lot more to about paying attention than it is about the actual timing. I, I totally agree. I always have said that's what the initial success with the Atkins or low carbohydrate diet is. People just start to stop and say, oh, I would, I would have normally had that handful of M&Ms as I talked to my office mate. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't because now I'm paying attention to that. Uh, exactly. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I, I think, and I'd like your opinion on this, uh, I think people take in a lot of calories through beverages. They, they, mm-hmm. They're kind of silent calories. They don't appreciate uh, that uh, a can of Coke uh, is 240 calories or something around there, maybe, um, which, you know, that's a candy bar. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think, I think people just don't, it, don't, don't, uh, don't read labels as well as they should. And as a physician, our nutrition training in medical school is very limited. I mean, it's more biochemistry than it is actual nutrition. Uh, and so I, I think from a training standpoint, physicians, we, we've, we, we do better. I think the curriculum in medical school addresses that at this time, but we don't get a lot of guidance during medical school. It's, it's kind of glossed over. And uh, uh, it, it is such a big part of our patients' lives. What is your philosophy on labels and shopping? And can you give us some advice on how best to go to the grocery store uh, and still be mindful of health and weight loss? So it always comes down, first of all, to education. You have to know what to even look for. That's the biggest thing. And it's it, there's so much noise out there about what is healthy, what's not healthy. Should you look at this ingredient? Should you not look at this ingredient? And so it's really difficult to know exactly what to be looking for. Um, I always say if you can read the whole label, that's pretty good. If you actually can identify what some of those things are, that's best. Obviously, picking whole foods is great when you can. Um, and just kind of being familiar with some of the big things. So um, like high fructose corn syrup is in a lot of stuff and can really jack up your um, blood sugars. Uh, different things about um, uh, the hydrogenated oils and how bad those are for us and knowing how to spot that on a label. Because partially hydrogenated oil can be on a label. We don't think about that as anything bad, but really that's pretty pretty bad saturated fat that's not found naturally. So, um, and that would be our trans fats. So those kinds of things I think are big things to keep an eye out for. Um, but ultimately, if you're really interested in it and you want more detail, I think meeting with a dietitian to really learn that and know those words that are, to keep an eye out for. But I mean, the standard thing that everyone says is. Eat whole foods. If you're eating a fruit, you know what's in it. If you're eating a vegetable, you know what it is. Same thing with like your protein sources and all that good stuff. So just trying to make good, healthy choices that way. But it can be very confusing. I I always, my, and I think I've mentioned this before. I always tell people, look at your dentition. Eat what your teeth are designed to eat. And if you look at the human mouth, it's fish, fruit, nuts, uh, berries, etc., it's not designed to be a uh, carnivore. It's not designed to eat grains. Um, it's really designed to eat nuts, berries, and, and, and some fish that you can uh, catch, you know. Uh, so, so I think that's uh, a, a good piece of advice, I think, that misses uh, people when they, when they think about these uh, diets, particularly the, you know, we, 
the low carb diet. I think people go crazy with those. Uh, I mean, I like steak, but uh, that doesn't mean you should eat it all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so. And I think that that's key too. Is you can still enjoy those things. It's just maybe not every day. It's okay to have a piece of cake on your birthday. It's not the end Absolutely. of the world, but maybe not every day. And so it's just being in control of your food choices so that they're not in control of you. I hear that a lot, that I have no control when I look at that food. That's what we really work on is making sure that if you want the cake, it's because you want the cake, not because it's there and you can't say no to it. Right. Absolutely. Um, and, I, and I think that going beyond the labels that, you know, it says I, the one that, that always just slays me is the protein bars. Uh, I mean, the, a Snickers is healthier than some of those protein bars, really. You know, so so I think people need to be mindful of that. Um, well, this is Abby. This is really great information. I always enjoy having you on. You you answer a lot of questions that that I have, uh, and uh, really supplement my knowledge uh, on nutrition and health and uh, well being. And uh, I always enjoy having you on the program. Uh, once again, that was Abby Labarge from Unity Point Healthy Living Clinic. For more information, visit unipoint.org. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Live Well Talk On. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your family, friends, neighbors, strangers about our podcast. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcast. Until next time, be well.